Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America, where I've been traveling around. I'm going to be speaking at several churches, meeting with our publisher, Whitaker Publishing House, and then flying out from here to join our good friend, Pastor Danny, in the UK. And as I'm traveling around the U.S., I come across an article that some of you might have seen if you follow North Korea. And I just want to take a moment to do a podcast and, and address this article because um, it is, it's typical North Korean. And I just want to dissect it a little bit for those of you that have been following us uh, when it comes to North Korea. Okay, so the article, if you haven't heard it, it just came out, and it's basically naming a 17-year-old Hung Il-gong, is his name, is an astronaut from North Korea. Um, He just so happens to be the nephew of Kim Jong-un, the president of North Korea. This astronaut is not just any astronaut. According to the article, um, he's a very special astronaut. (laughs) When you think of astronauts, you think of somebody that goes into outer space, right? Someone who goes to the moon, someone uh, who is on a mission outside of the Earth's orbit. Yes? I mean, that's that's kind of the definition of what we think about astronauts. I've taken my children to the NASA Space Museum um, in Florida. Uh, it, it's an it's an amazing time if you've never been to the NASA um, uh, space. I, I I wouldn't even know if it's yeah it's it's a museum, but I mean it's there's still activities that are taking place there. So it's it's kind of a museum, but it's also you know very active. So you have um, the NASA teams that are still working there and doing things there. I I presume it's been a while since I've been there, but it was it was definitely a highlight of all the trips that that. I've been on with my family. Anyway, this article talking about this uh, 17-year-old astronaut, which, by the way, is super young. For those of you that know anything about becoming an astronaut, usually you have to be a pilot first, uh, have a lot of experience in being a pilot, and then just the training that it takes for the astronauts in order to get into a spacecraft takes several years, which means that 17-year-old Mr. Gong would have started his astronaut training at birth because <laughs> most astronauts spend 17 years in training waiting for that exact moment when they can become astronauts. So the fact that there is a 17-year-old astronaut uh, from North Korea is already pretty remarkable, if I can use that word without being too ironic. Here's, the, here's what the article says. <clears throat> this is coming from the North Korean government. We are very delighted to announce a successful mission to put a man on the sun. North Korea has beaten every other country in the world to the sun. Hong Il-gong is a hero and deserves a hero's welcome when he returns home later this evening. Hong took just four hours to get to the sun from Earth and it will take 18 hours to return making this a day trip. When he gets back to North Korea, he will be greeted by his uncle and supreme leader, Kim Jong-un. 
So that is, that is the article. <laughs> I read it and I, I was like, okay, I have to look this up. I have to follow up on this because this, you know, there, there's a joke. If you are familiar with the rivalry, sometimes a kind of like a child-like rivalry between Norway and Sweden. Um, the Norwegians will often joke and say, you know, the Swedes put a man on the sun. And, uh, and uh, the Norwegian scientist said, no, it's not possible to put a man on the sun. And the Swedes said, no, 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 we know what you're thinking. We will go at night. Um, <laughs> that's kind of what it seems like here, that uh, it took him only four hours. So I'm wondering if they decided to go at night. Um, and, and wait till the sun goes down, take your four hour trip, get to the sun, and then 18 hours return, um, you know, as you make it off the sun before the sun rises. Um, it, it, the, the question becomes, of course, as someone reads that article and realizes how, how, um, uh, crazy it is, um, the question becomes, are North Koreans that gullible? We know that they live in a media blackout, something that we share here at Back to Jerusalem all the time. But is it possible that North Koreans would believe that their country put a man on the sun? Um, well, it is, it is true that they come up with some real doozies um, that they do actually report and the people seem to believe. For instance, it was reported last year that comrade Kim Jong-il um, sorry, no, Kim Jong-un uh, shot three bullets and three of them, all three of them were in the exact center. It was an exact bullseye. He just picked up a handgun and shot three bullets. And this was at the age of seven. He was reportedly seven years old when he picked up a, a handgun and he shot three bullets and all of them were, were bullseyes. If you've ever handled a handgun. I was trained in the in the U.S. Marine Corps. We're very well known for being some of the best shooters in the U.S. military, especially when it comes to the rifle, the M16, for instance. Uh, the the maximum effective range of an M16 is 550 yards. Um, the Marines are the only ones who take it back to that that level at 500 yards, and you are expected to be proficient, both men and women. You're expected to be proficient at 500 yards. Well, when you go to the handgun range, it is a much different story. You are not at um, uh, 500 yards. You're like at 15 and 30 yards at the most. Uh, one of the reasons why is because you do not have that rifling. You do not have that 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 long um, rifle uh, in so that when your round goes down the, the, the rifle itself, that it allows it to be able to stay on course for that, for the entire range of that rifling. Rifling is like there's a spiral that takes place inside of the, in, inside of the, the rifle itself. Um, when the, when the round comes out, it has already traveled a bit of a distance and it will, in theory, um, as well as in practice on the range, stay on that trajectory that was set by the rifle. Well, you don't have that long of a rifling with a handgun. In fact, it's basically right at the point of explosion with the round itself. When it is ignited, it's almost immediately released outside of the, the muzzle of the handgun, meaning 
that it does not have as much control over the trajectory. So um, that's why handguns are only effective uh, at short range because they do not have the same rifling. They do not prepare the round for a trajectory course uh, for as long. It's, it's just it's an explosion, the explosion taking place with the round, the round being propelled, the projectile coming out the end of your muzzle, and then uh, immediately hitting the target. So hitting targets at longer ranges is much more difficult with a handgun. Is it possible at all for a seven-year-old to pick up a handgun and fire three bullets and get three rounds into a bullseye? Absolutely not. I, I don't care if you are only three feet away. You're not going to, most, most people would have a problem hitting a bullseye at 10 feet away. So, yeah, this is the kind of news that comes out, the unbelievable news, which makes the unbelievable news of, of someone landing on the sun, an astronaut, North Korean astronaut, was, is that, is that actually being reported in North Korea? Is that being, it, it makes it a bit more believable that it's being reported in North Korea when we know that we have reports like this. But it's not just there, it's also, we have other reports that are coming out. For instance, it was just reported that Kim Jong-un, Climbed the active volcano of Mount Poktu, um, which is 2,744 meters high, which kind of makes Vladimir Putin, who rides around on horses uh, without a shirt and likes to do um, Taekwondo, uh, makes him look a bit like a sissy because Kim Jong-un climbed to the, the top of this huge active volcano and took a photo at the top and you can see him at the photo. The problem with the photo is that he is supposedly just finished uh, hiking up to the top without assistance to the top of this active volcano. And by the way, this is the same place where his uh, father, Kim Jong-il, had been, uh, had been uh, uh, born, supernaturally, by the way. And it's believed by the North Koreans, because the North Koreans and, and the Korean people love this mountain. They believe this is the place where the Korean people were born. This is the place where Kim Jong-il was born. And he was born supernaturally, just like Jesus, of a virgin mother. And when he was born, a new star formed, a sky was illuminated, and the seasons changed. And out of nowhere, this beautiful double rainbow appeared on the day of his birth. And that is the, that is the official stance of the North Korean people. Unfortunately for them, Soviet records uh, show something that's a little bit less exciting, a little bit more boring, um, saying that Kim Jong-il was born in a much less miraculous way in 1941 in a Siberian village for political refugees. So it takes a little bit of the, 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 the miraculousness away from that story. But it's the same mountain, and it's, this is the one that Kim Jong-un was, was supposedly uh, able to climb with no assistance uh, last year. And at the top, he took a photo. The problem with the photo is that he's wearing boots that are without any dust whatsoever, um, they're black, so black would show dust. Uh, it, he has um, also, he's also wearing a black trench coat. I'm sitting here looking at a picture of him at the top. He's wearing dress, dress pants and his hair is perfect. So he just took this 2,744. This is like, um, if you, basically you are about a mile and a half in the air. So think of walking a mile and a half straight up. 
So you're climbing up a mile and a half in the air. And of course, it doesn't go straight up a mile and a half. So you're, you're hiking several miles, all of incline over very rocky terrain on an active volcano. And I don't know. I've hiked a few um, mountains in my lifetime. I live on a mountain in uh, southern China. I have I have hiked volcano ash before in the Kahukus in Hawaii. So I have seen the state of my boots at the end of hiking over uh, volcano ash. Um, and I did not see any of that evidence when I'm looking at Kim Jong Un. These are just some stories. I just I, I, that that are so crazy um, that it makes the idea of this latest story. I know some of you have been uh, reading North Korean news, and you might have come across this I, this this news story about North Korean uh, astronauts landing on the sun. Is that true? Did they really really report that? Well. Um, in 2010, it was reported that the entire world was modeling the fa- their fashion after Kim Jong-il. How many of you that are listening to this podcast were alive in 2010? Do you remember at any point during that year? I know that's a few years back. I know that you have to go back seven years in your memory. But at any point in 2010, did you ever see a fashion trend that was modeled after Kim Jong-il? Probably not. I lived during 2010. I worked in North Korea, traveled in North Korea in 2010. I traveled all over the world during that time in Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, China, America, Canada, and Europe, and never once did I ever see anything even remotely to the fashion of Kim Jong-il. Then again, I never spent much time on a New York Broadway or those in Milan. Uh, Kim Jong-il is associated with a lot of um, crazy news. For instance, the, the news while Kim Jong-il was still alive, the North Korean news reported that Kim Jong-il invented the hamburger. I remember when that news story came out and I specifically went and looked at it and while the inspiration um, did come from Hamburg, Germany, the concept was developed much later. But it was from the German Hamburg cows that were minced up and combined with garlic and onion, salt and pepper, and then formed into patties. Uh, in the beginning, those were considered to be Hamburg steaks. And so Hamburg or Hamburger um, just became short for Hamburg steaks. And then the Hamburg steaks were put on bread and eaten like a sandwich. And that's what we today call the hamburger. Well, in North Korea, they strongly believe because of the news that has been reported there that uh, hamburgers were invented by Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il did a lot of other things as well. He's associated with a lot of these fables that are reported as fact in the news. So the North Korean people get no other news at all. And so the North Koreans basically report whatever they feel like. Um, they report, for instance, that Kim Jong-il never used the bathroom and he controlled the weather. I don't know if the two were associated or not. Maybe after you've held your bowels for quite a bit of time, when you finally release it, maybe it does impact the weather. And that maybe that's associated with controlling the weather. I'm not really sure. But it was um, it was also reported not too long ago that the world's foremost scientists... Um, were in North Korea. And North Korea, um, according to the KCNA, uh, which is the North Korean official news, they heralded the, the invention of a waterproof liquid. Yes, 
You heard that correctly. We can leave that right there. A waterproof liquid. A liquid that is waterproof. Kim Jong-il has discovered many things, not just a waterproof liquid, but also AIDS. The, I'm sorry, not he didn't discover AIDS. He discovered a cure for AIDS. So he discovered a cure for AIDS, cure for cancer, and cure for SARS. Um, SARS is the flu outbreak that took place in China in 2003, 2004? No, 2003. So in 2003, when SARS broke out, Kim Jong-il had the cure. Uh, in 2002, this one, this one is, uh, is a, is a real doozy. And this is, this is real news. What I'm, what I'm telling you has been reported by the North Koreans. In 2012, I've reported about this before. I've, I've said this before. So I just want to mention it again. In 2012, the Institute of Academy and Social Sciences in North Korea reported that archaeologists had unearthed a unicorn liar just 22 yards from Pyongyang Temple. Um, this is um, a discovery that should have shocked the world, that there was a um, cave where unicorns used to sleep. Um, very conveniently, unicorn lair, or L-A-I-R, like a cave or a place where unicorns stay, it's carved into the stone. And so it, it's, it's quite handy when unicorns used to stay there and they, someone decided to go ahead and, and write it on the side of the cave so that everyone would be able to know that this is where they stay. It's kind of like, you know, uh, labeling your parking space or, uh, your office. Um, of course, if there were unicorns there, they would need to have a sign outside of the cave telling people that this is where they stay. So this is recorded uh, by the by the uh, North Korean news, and as well as being officially uh, discovered by the the Academy of Social Sciences. Um, and and when it gets into other things, this is very very well known. Anytime you put up the two, the ten most ridiculous myths reported by the North Korean news, um, one of the top things that comes up is golf, and one of the reasons why is Koreans absolutely love. Golf. There are many South Korean golfers that are professional competitors worldwide and they often win world championships. And this irritates the North Koreans to no end, uh, because, um, this gets the Koreans and they don't, the, the, the South Koreans, um, they, they don't really, you know, talk about the fact that they're South Korean so much. They just get in there and compete. But the North Koreans really hate the fact that South Korea has been so successful at golf. And so it was important for them to not let their southern brothers outdo them. So back in 1994, the news reports claimed that uh, Kim Jong-il broke a world record at golf by shooting 38 under par. Now, you might be like me and, and not be a golfer and not know what that means. But it basically means that he hit... 11 hole in ones and everyone, all, all the other, all the rest of them were just one or two strokes. So, um, 11 hole in ones out of a course of what, 18? I think it is. So, um, it, you're not hitting 11 hole in ones. I mean, anybody, I don't even really have to say that, but this, this is the kind of news that is constantly being reported on. And one of the things that, um, uh, I just wanted to point out is that this kind of news about an astronaut landing on the sun in North Korea is very possible that this is a real news story. 
there's nothing about this news story that seems that it could be off limits for the North Koreans to publish. Will the North Korean people believe it or not? Well, they will be forced to believe it. So it doesn't really matter if they want to or not, they will be forced to. However, I did a little bit of searching around the internet and it appears that this article is not necessarily true, nor was it reported by the North Koreans. I can't find any evidence that this article came out by North Korea. So if you saw it, if you read this article, it's probably false. This article originally appeared on a satirical Irish site called Waterford Whispers News, and they have groundbreaking news studies like a link between obesity and overeating, um, which, you know, just obvious stuff. It's satirical. And so they came out with this um, news article, and a lot of people, I think, don't always understand satirical news like The Onion. There's one time that I did a, a satirical news on North Korea specifically um, and uh, kind of made a bit of a joke about it and, and people took it a little more serious than it was supposed to. I, I put in the article itself that it was satirical, um, that it was not serious, it was not real, but it was meant to prove a point. And uh, I don't think everybody read the article before they started to comment on the article, share the article, and then post um, comments on their social media regarding the article. But as silly as these articles may seem to you when it comes to North Korea, there's what's happening in North Korea is anything but silly. A group that's called Christian Solidarity Worldwide, you might know them. Sometimes they're referred to in articles as CSW. So Christian Solidarity Worldwide came out with a 15-page report last year titled Total Denial, Violations of Freedom of Religion or Belief in North Korea. Um, this 15-page report is a must-read for anybody that is praying for North Korea. It gives detailed reports about the tens of thousands of Christians that are in prison today in North Korea. Gulags are being tortured and killed because of their faith. And beyond that, they're having their children and grandchildren turned into slaves. And many of them are worked and starved to death. They're not fed. They're made to work. You're talking about six, seven, eight, nine-year-old children. Not fed, but forced to work. And these kids know nothing else but suffering. They know nothing more than the gulags that they're growing up in. And they're being tortured not even because they're Christian but because their mother or father have been caught doing something. That's, I want you to think about that because one of the things that we talk about quite often when it comes to Christian persecution is Christians that are brave and stand up for their faith. And many of you might listen to the podcast and think to yourself, might even empathize with those Christians and say, if I was in their position, if I were standing in their shoes and I was forced to deny Christ, or be tortured. I was told that I had the choice to, between the two. Would I do it or not? Well, that's one question. And, and you might even be able to have the cojones to say, you know what, I, I would stand up. I would not deny my Savior. And kudos to you if you come to that conclusion. I, I, every Christian should at least be able to say that to themselves, um, whether they've actually faced that or not. Um, once you're in that that 
position, that's when you know the truth. You never know the truth, no matter what you tell yourself. You never know the truth until you are in that position where you are facing death over your belief in Jesus Christ. However, imagine, for me this would be much worse, I have two kids. Many of our listeners also are parents. And if you have children, imagine your child, not your life just being threatened alone, but your children's lives, not just threatened, but living a living death, like having to go through some of the most horrible torture, pains in the stomach from not eating for days and days, and then without eating, while being malnutrition, being forced to go out and work in hard labor, busting rocks, carrying rocks, um, carrying wood, chopping wood, uh, being beaten, mistreated by guards because you're, you're considered to be less than an animal. That's what this 15-page report does. There is a... Um, there is an event that took place about a year and a half ago in April of 2015. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend that you go online and Google search it. It's something that I find, maybe this is wrong of me, um, but I find a little bit of satisfaction here. And, and this is not the Back to Jerusalem stance. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Chinese brothers here. This is my own personal feeling that when I, when I see this event that takes place in the United Nations in 2015, there's a part of me, and I'm not necessarily saying that it's a, it's the Christian part of me. It's the human part of me. If I can be honest on this podcast for a moment, there's a human part of me that takes a bit of delight in seeing North Korean refugees that were able to escape out of North Korea, they get the rare chance to face those that brought pain into their lives. They get the rare chance to face North Korean officials. And the international community, for a, for a, for a small moment in time, they never do this, by the way. Never, never, never do this. Maybe they shouldn't. Um, maybe it's not the, the way to build diplomatic bridges. Maybe it's not the way. It's, it is not the way. This is not the way to build diplomatic bridges. But, oh, it felt good to watch. And that was in April of 2015, a UN, uh, the, the UN had a rare event where they brought, they, they held this human rights forum and they had the official delegation from North Korea. And the North Korean delegation, which is a part of the United Nations, they were there and they were surprised when without former without warning 20 north korean refugees that were able to escape out of north korea entered into the room and were seated directly in front of the north korean delegation the north koreans have never had to face anything like that before I mean, with the, with the video that you can see online, it was, it was carried on C-SPAN and it, I believe it's also on YouTube. I'm going to be playing a file of it, um, here so you can listen to it. But basically, the U.S. ambassador to, uh, the, a woman by the name of Samantha Power, she had her hands full 
and then an, another UN representative from the US um, tried to quiet, as you're going to hear in this video, tried to quiet the North Korean diplomats at the event uh, that featured more than these 20 defectors. And these 20 defectors were, were quite interesting. I mean, they, they, they look very professional. Some of them are dressed in suits and they're just these really kind, sweet. You look into the faces of these North Korean defectors that are there and they look kind and sweet. There's one guy who's kind of sitting with shades. He's wearing sunglasses in the middle of the forum. And so he, look, he looks like he's, he's in, he's wanting some confrontation. Uh, but the rest of them just, they just look like these, these innocent people who've defected from their country and they just want their stories to be heard. Well, the United Nation North Korean delegation went absolutely ape. And there was this, there was this, um, um, uh, shouting that began to take place. Um, Here's here's the the event that that is available online. Wait till the um, till the break. We will give you a chance to speak. This is uh, Barbara Dimmick, and she's addressing the North Korean diplomats. Um, she's at the UN, so she's just telling them, "Please be quiet," because they've already started to speak. They've already it, uh, some of the stuff that they're saying is not um, is not understandable, so you may not be able to understand exactly what they're saying. But this is this is the actual proceeding in the the UN forum. So this is the North Korean. If you can hear just a slightly in the background, he is saying these are groundless allegations. So the, the, the defectors have not even had a chance to speak yet. And these North Korean diplomats are an, an absolute uproar and they want this to be shut down. And they're saying, you know, please, you do not have the floor. Please, you do not have the floor. Please be quiet. And, you know, this is this is unheard of for this kind of outburst in the United Nations. So Barbara Dimmick is sitting there looking at her former, uh, her um, co-panelists, not really knowing what direction to take this. Sir, you're, dis you're discrediting yourself further by interrupting the proceedings. We will continue our panel, and you can speak when the panel has concluded. I think the audience will agree that it's better to allow the DPRK to speak, since it is a self-discrediting exercise, and we will resume our panel. Conclude your statement, and we will go back to our panel. So basically, they're giving up. Uh, the, the, the panel has given up, and they're like, okay, let's let North Korea speak. Let's let them have a voice. So um, now they are allowing them to speak because they've interrupted. They continue to interrupt. And the, the defectors that are sitting in front of them are turning around with their 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 phone cameras because, of course, they're, they're probably living in South Korea, so Samsung is – is in their hands. So they got these Samsung mobile phones and they're, they're, they're filming these North Koreans continuing to, um, uh, unruly out, have these outbursts in the middle of this, uh, UN forum. There's no need for a microphone. So 
So what you just heard there is that one of the North Korean delegates um, for the UN is reading a statement talking about the U.S. human rights atrocities and how the U.S., the United States, um, has many of its own um, human rights atrocities and that this needs to be the real issue that's brought up before the forum. And the, one of the South Korean delegates that are, I'm sorry, one of the South, the, the North Korean defectors that are sitting in front of the North Korean Korean um, representatives jumped up and shouted. So that was the, the quick shout that you just heard. A bit of icebergs among the human rights violations committed in the please, U.S. Please shut day. the mic down since this is not an authorized presentation. If we could ask the acoustic the people. Act of racial please ensure that the microphone is not live. Thank you. Now at this point in the video, security, sir, you can either conclude your remarks. Now at this point in the video, you have all of the the former North Korean, the the North Korean refugees. Now you have all of them standing up and facing the North Korean delegation. You will be removed from the room. And then what you had there is you had these these um, shoutings or that took place. It's almost like this for a moment there. It was almost like seeing the Taiwanese government um, in action. If you've ever watched the parliament in, in in Taiwan, I mean these guys get up and shout at each other and they punch each other and they they have these big fights in the middle of the floor. Um, but basically, what the the um, defectors said so the defectors stood up and they're yelling back at the this north korean delegation and they said shut up free north korea down with kim jong-un even animals know when to wait their turn (laughs) so i know i shouldn't be laughing but when i see these defectors these 20 defectors and what they went through the suffering that they've endured their entire life and to see that they get this moment to stand up to those that have helped and, and been um, uh, attributed to the pain that they've gone through and allow them just this one moment to say, free North Korea, down with Kim Jong-un, even animals know when to wait their turn. It may be wrong, but it felt good to see that moment when these defectors were able to stand up and assert themselves, no longer having to cower in a corner, worrying about getting beat by a gulag officer, no no longer having to worry about offending the great leader Kim Jong-un. Now there's a certain freedom in their heartbreaking stories. And after that, um, the rest of the room got to hear the, the, the 20 defectors share about their heartbreaking stories and their, their journey from North Korea into freedom. But as good as it felt in my human sense to sit and listen to them uh, stand up against the, the Korean delegation, there's a part of me that is heartbroken that the North Korean delegation did not get to hear the stories firsthand 
from those that have suffered under this current regime. Many Christians today, as I'm doing this podcast, are sitting in gulags. And as they're sitting in gulags, we are focused on a way to be able to get Bibles into the hands of those prisoners who are in gulags. It's something that we've been praying about for a while. We believe that there will be a supernatural road that will open up. We are developing a Bible right now that is about the size of a Tic Tac um, that we can get into the hands of the North Koreans, specifically those that are in prison in North Korea, those that are in gulags that have absolutely no hope. Once you go to a gulag in North Korea, you don't leave. It is a living hell. You pray for death when you are in a North Korean gulag. And that is something that we have been praying about for a while, that in this hopelessness, what if we can offer the light of hope? So we have been delivering Bibles into North Korea. We're delivering Bibles into North Korea right now. And if you are listening to this podcast and you want to help North Korea in any way, the best way, I feel, is to deliver God's word into that nation. And you can help us right now to get Bibles into the hands of North Koreans by going onto our website and making a donation specifically for Bibles. And you can make a note and say that this is for North Korea and it will get into the hands of North Koreans. Now, if you get on, you go online and you listen to some of the people in North Korea that have been tortured and have been able to make their way out of North Korea and you would like to help them. We have a special martyr account. We don't advertise this. You'll have to contact our office to do this. This is something that we are doing very special for one person right now. Um, there may be other people down the road that we are helping. Uh, we're looking into helping more people in what we call a martyr's account. But there is a Sister Esther. If you've not read her story, you can go online right now and get it. It's called Smuggling Light. Um, Smuggling Light is a book about a North Korean sister that uh, I have worked with for several years inside of China, and she was absolutely phenomenal. Um, She was um, she was a um, a Chinese back to Jerusalem missionary um, that worked with us in North Korea. She took Bibles into North Korea. She she was able to get more Bibles into North Korea and plant more churches in North Korea than anybody that I've ever worked with in my in my life. Before her and since her, I've never had anybody as productive on the ground as her. She planted so many churches and delivered so many Bibles in a very short amount of time. And this book is called um, Smuggling Light. I wrote it together with Sister Esther. Um, who no longer lives or works in North Korea, but it's an amazing story about how she was planting churches in North Korea. It gives you an, a, an in-depth, behind-the-scenes um, look at what it means to work in North Korea and plant churches and reach people in North Korea. She talks about the moment that uh, many of the North Koreans came to Christ and what the underground house church services look like, which are completely different than China. And then how she was caught and how she was arrested and how she was um, tortured and how she miraculously walked out of that situation only to be rearrested in China and put into an underground secret women's prison in China that nobody knew where she was at. Um, even her family members who are connected to law enforcement were not able to find this secret underground prison. But God miraculously walked with her 
and helped her out of that prison, only to then be hunted down by North Korean uh, mercenaries who were, were charged with killing her. And oftentimes these mercenaries are successful. Um, as we see in the latest case in China, if you go to our website right now, you will see that we have a um, an article from January of 2017 where we talk about a pastor that was killed. He was axed um, in the northeastern part of China. He was killed. His face was just hacked up by North Korean mercenaries who were sent to China to bring the this pastor back into North Korea. He was a Chinese pastor from from Korean descent um and uh, he was supposed to be brought back into North Korea so they could torture him and find out who he connected with, how many North Koreans he connected with and to get him to stop ministering to North Korean defectors who walk out of North Korea and are able to escape from the northern border. The um mercenaries killed him, chopped up his face, and this month, uh, January of 2017, uh, it was found by an investigation ran by China that indeed North Korea is responsible for the death of this pastor on Chinese soil, which is a violation of China's sovereignty um, to have North Korean officials sending hitmen into another sovereign nation to kill one of China's citizens. Um, so we, 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 this is a very real thing that Esther was facing, and you will read about that journey in Smuggling Light that you can get online now. It was just released um, a couple months ago, and <clears throat> it's one of the most moving books. And to, to let you know, this book has been written specifically targeting women's Bible studies. So if you are looking for a book to introduce to your to to the women in your women's Bible studies, I would highly recommend Smuggling Light. Um because Esther is not your typical female missionary. She is a warrior that I think can give if you're if you're studying the book of Esther, <laughs> if you're studying about Esther, why not also read about a modern day Esther? Uh, a, a woman who took the light of Christ into the pits of hell, faced down the enemy, was thrown into the lion's den, and walked out. The the miraculous story, I think, will touch you and your Bible study. You don't have to be a, a women's Bible study to read this book, but I do think that there's a special message there for women to see how they can be used like lions in the hands of a living God. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time. God bless you.